you would take your Bibles with me, please, and turn to Psalm chapter 119. Psalm chapter 119. should be right there uh, near the center of your Bible. It's the longest chapter in the entire Bible. And we're studying all of it. No, I'm just joking. No, we're not. Psalm 119. Look with me at verses 1 through 8. Psalm 119, verses 1 through 8. This is what the Word of God says. How blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. How blessed are those who observe His testimonies, who seek Him with all their heart. They also do no unrighteousness. They walk in His ways. You have ordained Your precepts that we should keep them diligently. Oh, that my ways may be established to keep Your statutes. Then I shall not be ashamed. When I look upon all your commandments, I shall give thanks to you with uprightness of heart. When I learn your righteous judgments, I shall keep your statutes. Do not forsake me utterly. If you would bow with me, please, in the word of prayer. Our Father, Lord God, thank you for your inspired scriptures. Lord, it is an honor to live in a nation, to live in in a state, in a city, to attend a church where your word can be proclaimed freely, where your word can be taught freely. Thank you for this freedom. May we not abuse it. I pray, Lord, that you will use your word in the exact way that you want in our hearts and lives today. For whatever you are about to accomplish and do, we thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. In Luke chapter 24, there's a story of two disciples on the road to Emmaus. I'm sure a lot of you are familiar with it. Let me just recap it for us. There's two disciples of Jesus. They're totally depressed. They're full of anxiety. Because that very morning, these two men, along with the other disciples, just found out that Jesus' dead body has gone missing. That's all they know. Jesus' body is gone. Who took it, they wonder. What happened? So these two men are on a journey from Jerusalem to Emmaus. When all of a sudden Jesus appeared to them. They didn't recognize him as Jesus at first. But he starts walking alongside of them just as a a third guy to the party. And they're talking and they're, they're all depressed. They're full of anxiety. And so Jesus says, what are you talking about? And the two of disciples look at Jesus just with incredulous faces thinking, how in the world do you not know what we're talking about? And so they tell him, there's this prophet, they said, named Jesus the Nazarene, who was betrayed by one of his own. He was crucified and murdered. Then he was buried. And now we just found out this morning that his body is gone. We, no one knows where it is. And so they tell Jesus this. And Jesus then says to them, oh, foolish men. And slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. The very next verse in that section says this. Then, beginning with Moses and with all the prophets, Jesus explained to them the things concerning himself in all the scriptures. I've got a beautiful painting of uh, this story at home it's still unpa- it's still packed actually it's not unpacked yet but i do have a beautiful picture of this 
It's, uh, it's really well done. It shows these two men walking along this path. And their faces are drawn in such a way, painted in such a way that they've got those questions. You can just see it in their face. But standing in the middle of them as they're walking on this path is Jesus. And both of these men are leaning on their staff as they're walking close to Jesus who's in the middle of them. They're listening to him. And you can see Jesus is speaking. That's the picture that I have. And this wonderful story, the beautiful picture that I have, it reminds me, it's an example to me of my walk with the Lord. You know, we all are on a path in our life that's going somewhere. And the more attention that I give the path that I'm on in my life and where it's taking me and plans for my future, the more I find myself consumed with, well, what's the next turn up ahead? What's the valley I'm in? What's the mountain that's ahead of me? And the less attentive I am to the very words of God. Psalm chapter 119 is the longest chapter in all the Bible. Uh, it's almost exactly in the center of the, of the Bible. And with it being the longest chapter, there are 22 sections throughout this, this chapter. And it's written in a very unique way in Hebrew. It's written as an acrostic poem. Basically, there's a section of verses that are all split up. And they're split up according to each of the Hebrew letters within the Hebrew alphabet. So the first section, I know my Bible has this, I'm sure yours does also. Before verse 1, it has the word Aleph. Before verse 9, it says Beth, which is a good name, by the way. I like that name. The third one is Gimel, third Daleth, and on and on it goes. So there's these sections split up. It's remarkable in the Hebrew poetry, actually. In fact, every verse within each section begins with that letter of the alphabet. So Aleph, verse 1 in Hebrew, begins with Aleph, the letter Aleph. Verse 2 begins with Aleph. And each section is like that. It's remarkable how someone, God used someone to pen it in such a beautiful way, and yet there is a very powerful point to this chapter. Now, if you would think this is such a unique chapter like this, the longest chapter in the Bible, written in a unique way in the Hebrew language, shouldn't we pay attention to it? Shouldn't we really ask ourselves, what is Psalm 119 talking about? What is it all about? There's, there's one more unique thing about it, by the way. It has one theme. Isn't that amazing? 22 sections throughout a huge chapter in the Bible. One theme. You know what that theme is? The Word of God. The Word of God. For example, the section titled Beth. It has a different aspect concerning the Word of God. You can summarize it as talking about treasuring God's Word. The section titled Gimel is talking about longing or desire for God's Word. The section Daleth is talking about strength from God's Word in the midst of my grief. So each section has a different aspect concerning the Word of God. Today, we're going to focus on the first section, Aleph. The first eight verses. And this is the theme that we're going to see for these eight verses. For the child of God to have a happy, blessed relationship with the Lord, he or she must be faithful to keep the word. That's what this is talking about, these eight verses. If you want a happy relationship with God, then you need to be faithful to keep his word. Just like those two disciples on the road to Emmaus. 
Jesus shows up explaining to them the scriptures, so also we're walking through life day in and day out. We need to be walking not only side by side with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We need to be walking day by day, listening to His Word and keeping it. And that's what we're going to be noticing today. The first verse of Psalm 119 says, How blessed are those whose way, here's that idea of a path, whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. Now these eight verses here can be split up into two sections. And the first section is, Promise of blessings. The first part is promise of blessings. And there's two blessings spelled out in verses 1 through 3. Blessing number one, those who blamelessly walk in the word are blessed. Those who blamelessly walk in the word are blessed. Notice how blessed are those whose way is blameless. Now in Hebrew, the word blessed, for our English language, you could just say happy, really. How happy are the people whose way, whose path is blameless. That's really what it's saying. Now, the reference to the way is mentioned throughout Scripture, primarily in Psalms and Proverbs. It talks a lot about the way, our way. And it's usually referring to our life, what's ahead of us, that God knows about, but we don't. I don't know what's happening an hour from now, not to mention tomorrow. But God does. So God knows the way. Uh, you know, in, in Proverbs it talks about trusting the Lord with all your heart. He will direct your steps. And it's mentioned all throughout Scripture. So the way is oftentimes, it's something that we're admonished to walk in the way of the Lord. Not just according to our own wisdom or what we think is wisdom, but according to the way of the Lord. Now, how would we know what the way of the Lord is? By heeding the Lord's counsel. How do we know what the Lord's counsel is? The Word of God. The Word of God. So according to Psalm 119, verse 1, the people who truly are happy, truly blessed in their personal relationship with God, are the people who walk, or you could say who live, in the way of the Lord. They follow the counsel of the Lord. You pursue the things God wants you to pursue. You live the way God wants you to live. That's a, you're living according to the counsel of God. Now, there's a specific word used here that defines how the happy person of God is living. It defines it. What's the word? How blessed are those whose way is what? Blameless. Above reproach, you could say. Blameless. Take your Bible. Turn a few pages to the left with me. Psalm chapter 19. Just look at Psalm chapter 19, please. By the way, Psalm 19 has so much uh, similar things as Psalm 119. It's just a lot shorter. (laughs) So, Psalm 19, and notice with me verse 13. Psalm 19, 13. Notice what it says about being blameless. Keep back your servant from presumptuous sins. Let them not rule over me. Then I will be blameless, and I shall be acquitted of great transgression. Did you catch that? What does it mean to be blameless? Well, according to Psalm 19.13 that we're looking at right now, for someone to be classified as blameless in the eyes of God, he or she is to not let sin rule over them. That's what it says, right? Sin doesn't dominate them. It doesn't rule over them. Notice, it's like a prayer. It's actually King David, Psalm 19. He's writing this. 
And he's praying, keep back, God, hold me back, your servant, from, he says, presumptuous sins. What's presumptuous sin? You're presuming to sin. You are planning to sin. So that would look like a habit. You might call it a hidden life of sin. You might call it, well, no one else, no one else will find me doing this. Uh, you find your tongue quick to gossip. It's a habit. You find your mind quick to lust. It's a habit. You find yourself prone to have a bigger ego and think more highly of yourself than you ought. It's a habit. Sin, that sin is dominating over your life. That's what's ruling over your life. Now, the question then is, does sin dominate my life? I'm not asking, are we perfect? I'm saying, does, can you think of just a sin? Man, I keep stumbling over this same sin again and again and again. That means it has rule over me. Thus, in the eyes of God, I am not blameless. I am guilty. According to Psalm 1913. Because he says, keep back your servant from, from presumptuous sin. Let them not rule over me. Then I will be blameless. Then I will be blameless. So, you might look like a good Christian on the outside. But God knows your heart. And God knows my heart. You might read your Bible. You might pray every day. But in some area of your life, sin rules. And in the eyes of God, you are not blameless. Now, it's true. We're all sinners. Right? We're all sinners. We've all fallen short of God's standard of holiness. And the only hope for us to have eternal life is to place our faith in Jesus Christ who died for my sin. That's the only hope we have. I trust completely in Him, not in anything else, in Him. You could say it this way. My forgiveness of sin is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And there's nothing more to that. There's nothing less than that. There's nothing other than that. So it's true that we're all sinners. Even after I place my faith in Christ, I still sin. I still mess up. So the question is not, am I living a perfect life? Do I never sin again? That's not the question of being blameless. The question of being blameless is, do I have a habit of sin? Does sin dominate an area of my life? Can I put my finger on something right now that might be a sin pattern, if I can, right now in the eyes of God, I'm not blameless. So, deal with it. I've got to deal with it. That means I confess it to God, I name it as it is. I claim it as it is before God. I pray something like this, God, I have sinned in, and you fill in the blank. I have sinned in this way. I can't have, I can't get over this. I keep falling with this, Lord. Please help me. I confess it to you. Please restore unto me the joy of your salvation. You're forgiven. And then in the eyes of God, you're blameless. If you keep stumbling over the sin, you can be a Christian and you can keep sinning. John Miles, um, Gloria's father, um, was known for saying, there is no sin that a Christian is not capable of doing. So, with that in mind, Psalm 119 says, if you want a happy relationship with your God, you want to walk this path of life happily, side by side with the Lord, then walk in a blameless way. Don't presume to sin. 
In fact, I would encourage you, as I've tried making a habit of my life since realizing this, pray Psalm 19:13 every day. Lord, keep back your servant, me, from presuming to sin today. Don't let sin rule over my life. Pray that every day. Don't let sin rule over my life today. Then, you can have a characteristic of your life being blameless, above reproach. And that's exactly what Psalm 119, verse 1 is saying. Blessing number 2 is synonymous with blessing number 1, but this is what it is. Those who walk with the Lord, keeping His word, are blessed. Those who walk with the Lord, keeping His word, are blessed. Notice verse 2 and 3. How blessed are those who observe His testimonies, who seek Him with all their heart. They also do no unrighteousness. They walk in His ways. So walking with the Lord and walking in the Word is synonymous. It should be the same thing. If I have a happy relationship with God, then I am happily looking into the Word day day after day. I'm happily listening to the Word taught Sunday after Sunday. If I have a happy relationship with the Lord, that's the work that He does in me. Now, blessing number two is more focusing, these two verses, verse two and three, it's more focusing on more detail, I guess. Something that we cannot forget, and that's this. Our walk with the Lord is personal. It's personal. We're walking with somebody. Not a force like Star Wars. With the Lord Jesus himself. It's personal. Would you ever wake up and... Husbands, wives, uh, brothers, sisters, would you ever wake up and just not talk to your spouse, never say good morning, never spend time with them, never say hi throughout the day, never say I love you, never listen to them, Of course not. If you do, you probably won't be married very long. Or you won't have a happy home. That's the same as it is with our relationship with the Lord who is a person. It is a personal relationship. Now, these two verses, verses 2 and 3, it more talks about the quality of our walk here with the Lord, which has to do with our heart. And it gives four characteristics Four characteristics of having a happy relationship with the Lord. And here they are. Are you ready? Characteristic number one. It's right here in verse two. How blessed are those who observe his testimonies? Characteristic number one. We keep or guard God's written scriptures. God's written scriptures. Now the idea, verse two says, observe his testimonies. That word testimonies... The idea of that is that God has had His Word written down. If you were to go into a courtroom and you were to give witness, you give testimony to the faithfulness of God, God will lay out His Word. This is my Word, my written scriptures, the 66 books of the Bible, the God-inspired books of the Bible. Nothing more, nothing less, nothing else. The 66 books of the Bible. And that is the written scriptures that God has preserved. And notice it says how blessed, how happy are you, are me, the people who observe. Does your Bible say keep, maybe? Who keep his testimonies. Or maybe who guards his testimonies. That's what the word really is saying. In fact, you this it gives a symbolic idea here of a guard who is standing in his position firm, guarding something of priceless treasure. I think of Buckingham Palace, or I think of the Queen's Jewels, you know, and that guard with that big fluffy hat, you know, and he stands there. He's guarding something priceless. That 
should be the person who has a happy relationship with the Lord. We guard the written scriptures. We keep them. We not only guard them from theft or from forgery or from abuse, we keep them close. They're precious. The words of God, the written scriptures, are precious to us. That is how dear, how valuable the written scriptures should be for the believer who has a happy walk with the Lord. Characteristic number two, we seek the Lord with all of our heart then. This is another characteristic. If you have a happy relationship with the Lord, then this is a characteristic. You seek the Lord with all your heart. That's what it says. Who seek Him with all their heart. A result of guarding the words of God, of of keeping God's word close to you, is that you will seek the Lord with all your heart. You'll seek Him. It's amazing. I was thinking about this, meditating on it, and... Uh, it's amazing how the Holy Spirit works in you and in me, the child of God, when we really have a hunger and thirst to understand truth. Have you ever maybe got maybe a sermon or maybe you're just reading the scripture in the morning? And you're reading and you're like, I never, wow, I never saw this before. And you just can't wait to tell someone that you really love and care about. And so you go and you say, did you see this? And they usually say, yeah, that's been there the whole time. But you think, no, this is so... I never saw this. You seek the Lord with all your heart. The Holy Spirit is the one doing that in you. And that's a characteristic of you in a happy relationship, a blessed relationship with the Lord. Someone who has a happy, blessed walk with the Lord is someone who wants to know more of the Word and dig deeper in the Word. That's a heart that seeks after God. Characteristic number three. If you have a heart that seeks after God, you have a happy relationship with God, then you obey God's word. We obey God's word. Notice it says in verse three, they also do no unrighteousness. Now, I scratched my head on this a long time and studied this for a while. This is not saying that if you have believed in Christ, you're going to become perfect and never sin anymore in this life. It's not what it's saying. In the context, you can more say they will not walk in unrighteousness. It's that habit of your life. It's that idea of sin dominating your life once again. If you're walking blamelessly with the Lord, sin's not going to dominate your life. Yeah, you'll mess up. Yes, you'll sin. And then you get back up by the grace of God, you confess your sin, and you go on for the glory of God. But a characteristic, really, of what's being, what's at the essence of this is that we obey God's word. We obey it. If we're seeking the Lord with all of our heart, if we want a happy relationship with God, then that means we don't come to church and we say, great message, Pastor Bill or Pastor Jeff. Thank you for the word today. And we go home and we completely forget about it. That's not walking with the Lord. That, that's not obeying it. Scripture. When we're reading maybe devotions and we see, oh, I never realized that's how God wants me to live. I never saw this before. Then do it. Apply it to your life. A characteristic is that you obey God's word. Now, when we keep God's word close to our hearts, when we walk in the instruction of the word, then the word protects us from sin. Just look down in Psalm 119. Look down to verse 9. Look down to verse 9. How can a young man keep his way pure? My goodness, hasn't there been so many books 
written almost with that exact title. There's been so many books, and they've got five-step programs and 12-step programs and do this and don't do this. Here's the answer from God's Word. By keeping it the way according to your Word. Look at verse 11. Your word I have treasured in my heart that I may not sin against you. If you protect the word of God, the word of God protects you from sin. It's amazing how the Lord works in us in such a divine, sovereign way. So it basically comes down to this. If I'm listening to the word of God and I want to walk with the Lord in a happy way, then I obey the scriptures. I obey what I'm learning. Characteristic number four. We walk according to God's ways. We walk according to God's ways. So the antonym of that is, I walk according to my way. That's not the the way to a happy relationship, a happy walk with the Lord. If you're in a, in a relationship with, with anybody, you have friends, husband, wife, brothers, sisters, you can't have a happy relationship with them if you're going to be selfish and proud the entire time. You know? That's what we try to teach kids, right? Share. Why do you share? Do unto others as you want them to do unto you. Well, yeah. But why do you want to share? Why should you be sharing? It's, it goes much deeper. It's, you don't want to follow your way because you, want, you know where your path has taken you, young man? I've had this conversation with somebody before, obviously. You know where this path is taking you. It will end with you having instruction from your father and eventually discipline, chastisement, until you get routed back on the correct way here. Our family is a mess. Let's get this right. Being in the family of God, we walk according to God's ways. How do we know God's ways? The Word of God. Plain and simple. The Word of God. The 66 books of the Bible. Just like at the beginning of the sermon today, the two men were walking on that road to Emmaus, and and Jesus showed up. He began teaching them the Scriptures. He taught them right there walking in normal routine of life. You know, we live the normal routine of life every day, day after day after day. We should live it as if Jesus is right beside us. As if we're listening to His very Word when we, we read the Scriptures. Now, you could look like a good Christian on the outside, but your walk with the Lord is determined in your heart. God sees your heart. He sees mine. And we can have a happy, blessed walk with the Lord throughout our entire life. I marvel at meeting elderly, godly believers. They've been faithfully serving the Lord, going to church, maybe like one guy I, I think of. He sharpened the pencils at a church that I was at. For years. That's what he did. He would come on Wednesday morning, sharpen a pencil, and then go. He'd show up on Sunday. He was faithful to come. Faithful to sharpen those pencils. Let me just say this. God saw that. And God kept track of that, of his faithfulness. Whatever God has called you to, you are accountable to be faithful to it. And that's how we walk in the way of the Lord blamelessly. Now, that's the standard there, okay? Those two blessings right there, that's the plumb line. That's the standard that God has. You want a happy relationship with me? Here are two blessings. Here are two happy ways for you. And here's our, here are four characteristics that you can spot in your life. Now, as the psalmist is writing this, he's getting convicted. Which I was too as I was studying this. Boy, I don't always walk in the way of the Lord. You know, I don't always listen to the word of God and obey it. So the psalmist changes gears here at verse 4 and he starts to pray. 
He talks about the promise of blessings and then he changes gears and just starts praying, God, wow, I don't measure up. Help me. And that's what we're going to notice here. There's an author that says the psalmist delighted in the fact that those who walk in wholehearted obedience to the law, to the word, are blessed. This prompted him to wish, to wish that he was more obedient. This leads to that second part, number two, prayer to be blameless. There's promise of blessing. Now let's pray to be blameless. There are five prayerful statements the psalmist writes here as he reflects on those two blessings. Statement number one, the Lord has commanded. He has commanded that we keep his word diligently. Look at verse four. The NIV actually has verse four read this way. You have laid down your precepts that are to be fully obeyed. The ESV, if you have that version, it says you have commanded your precepts to be kept diligently. You see the emphasis of those words? Fully, diligently. Just notice how comprehensive this is. God's word, God, he's, God has ordained, He has commanded that His word be kept. Not partly, fully. Not in a lazy way, diligently. That's what it says. So, every word that proceeds from the mouth of God is pure. All scripture is God-breathed. All 66 books of the Bible is God-breathed. And they're useful for us, you know, for teaching us, for rebuking us, for correcting us, for training us in righteousness. Why? What's the purpose of God's word in our life? So that you and I can be thoroughly equipped for every good work. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. Thoroughly equipped for every good work. And God knows that, so He has commanded, He has ordained that His precepts be kept diligently. This is not some apathetical, if you feel like it, or just love Jesus, everybody, and we'll be okay. No, this is a command. Keep the Word. Keep the Word. Keep it fully. Keep it diligently. Thomas Jefferson, the former president of the United States, he had a Bible. He read the Bible. He didn't exactly like the Bible. He liked parts of it. But if you were to flip through Thomas Jefferson's Bible, you would find sections completely cut out, perfect squares from what I, I hear, or pages ripped out. Why? Everything he did not like, he cut out. Now, he did not want to keep God's Word fully. He didn't obviously want to keep it diligently. We have the full, complete revelation of God. We're not waiting for any other person to write more Scripture. This is Scripture. We have it. We dare not abuse it. We'll be held accountable for it. And God's command, He has ordained that we keep it. How can we keep it if we don't know it? Now, that commandment, verse 4, God has commanded His word be kept diligently. Notice verse 5, how the psalmist, he's thinking. What does he say? Oh, man. It's really what he says. Oh, that my ways may be established to keep your statutes. God has commanded this, and then he's, he's, he's like, okay, I know that. Yep, God, you've commanded this. Oh, my goodness. I don't meet up. I don't meet that. And he prays, oh, that my ways would be established to keep it. Have you prayed a prayer like that? Have you prayed before God, begging Him, God, 
Please establish my life to keep your word. That's a life. That's a characteristic of walking with the Lord. Statement number two, establish my ways to keep your word. Oh, that my ways may be established to keep your statutes. Later in Psalm 119, all the way to verse 133, this is what it says. Establish my footsteps in your word and do not let any iniquity have dominion over me. See, the psalmist is praying, God, make my way firm. Make my life firm. Things get thrown at us, guys, all the time. Surprises hit our life out of the blue or hit our nation or hit this world. But it's not a surprise to God how I need to walk closely with the Lord and in His Word. Statement number three. This is a prayer, remember. A prayerful statement number three. When I fix my eyes upon your Word, I will not be ashamed. Notice the next verse. Verse 6, then I shall not be ashamed when I look upon all your commandments. I love how the ESV translates this, if you have that. It says, then I shall not be put to shame having fixed my eyes on all your commandments. The idea of fixing your eyes is that you will not let go. It's like that blinking contest, you know, which I grew up with four other brothers. I would win all the time. I loved it. I don't know how I could stare your eyes, just start watering. You can't blink, you're staring in their eyes. That's the idea. Fix my eyes on your word. Fix my eyes. Guys, how many times do we wake up in the morning and what do we fix our eyes on? What happened in the world? Let's look at the news. Who won the game last night? Which is, oh, that's fine. But why don't we fix our eyes on the word? Why don't we get our gaze fixed on what's eternal? Now, have you ever been reading the Bible and you just start feeling guilty? You read something and you think, oh man, I blew it. There it is right there. I blew it. You see, what, what the psalmist is saying, when I fix my eyes on the Word, the Lord will not let me be ashamed. I won't be reading the Scriptures in such a way that all of a sudden, I'm guilty. I feel guilt. I can read the Word for instruction more than conviction. Statement number four When I learn your righteous judgments, I will give thanks. Notice with me, verse 7. I shall give thanks to you with uprightness of heart when I learn your righteous judgments. See, the more I know of Scripture and the more I treasure Scripture in my heart, the more the Lord works in me to have thankfulness. Now, thankfulness is praise. Thankfulness is worship. So I'm just going to throw this out there. Why do we think sometimes we can come to church and worship God, as we call it, when we haven't in any way been in the Scriptures all week long? Scriptures is what causes us to have thankfulness. That's what it says. So how do we... We get thrown off, don't we? We think, I can, I can come to church. Come as you are. You know, dust that sin off from that week. Worship God. I haven't been in His Word all week. How can I really have thankfulness? Just a thought. When I'm in the Word, it causes thankfulness to well up in me because notice it says, when I learn your righteous judgments. Judgment's a pretty powerful word, you know? I work at Starbucks. And and that word likes to be thrown around sometimes. Don't judge me. Don't judge me. Judge not lest you be judged. Yeah, you know the context of what Jesus was talking about right there. That's what I always think of. But 
That's the key word. I, when I learn your righteous judgments, when you hear judgmental things from Scripture, let's say uh, Pastor Jeff talked about Amos last week. You want to talk about a judgmental book? Amos is pronouncing judgment on, on Israel. You guys are going to be wiped out. You know that 40 years after Amos pronounced that judgment, the Assyrian nation came and wiped them out. Exactly as Amos predicted. Now, do we read that in Scripture and think, Oh God, thank you. Is that what we think? Oh God, I read your judgment. Thank you. What does it say? I shall give thanks to you with uprightness of heart when I learn your righteous judgments. Now, judgment can also mean his laws, his ways. This is the plumb line. Don't cross it. It causes thankfulness. And statement number five is the last prayerful statement. As I fully keep your word, do not utterly forsake me. The last verse, verse eight says, I shall keep your statutes. Do not forsake me utterly. I just want to point out a parallel here. He's talking about, Lord, help me to fully keep your word. Do not utterly, or you could say, do not fully forsake me. If I fully keep your word, don't fully forsake me. Don't leave me. Now, for you and me, guys, we have a great blessing. Wonderful promise, Matthew chapter 28. Jesus said, and surely I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Don't worry. Don't be afraid. Man, I blew it this week. God has left me. He has not. He is still here. He is still ready to forgive. He is a God of grace. And that's the marvelous thing about the God of the Bible that we serve. Hebrews Hebrews chapter 13 says, God himself has said, I will never desert you. I will never forsake you. But that's written to believers. If you've trusted in Jesus Christ as your Savior, that's for you and for me. But if you haven't trusted in Jesus, you're not on a path with God. You have to trust in Jesus Christ to get on the path of God. And then you have the promise, you will never be deserted, my friend. You will never be forsaken. But let me say here, if we choose as believers, you've trusted in Jesus Christ, you are saved, you know you're going to heaven if you die right now. As a believer, if you do not fully keep God's word, if I do not fully keep God's word, then the Lord can and will forsake his blessings on me. I think that's more of what the psalmist is talking about. Do not forsake me utterly. If I fully keep your word, don't utterly forsake your blessings. Verses 1 and 2. Don't forsake your blessings. I'm not talking about Joel Osteen blessings here of a new car and nice clothes. What I'm talking about is the blessing of being happy in your relationship with the Lord. You're walking with Him. I just want to give a warning very quickly. It was to the Corinthian believers who were called saints that Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, he wrote, since you worship God with no reverence, because of that reason, God has made some of you weak, God has made some of you sick, and God has killed some of you. He took you home. Why? Because God said, that's enough. You're my child. I'm bringing you home. You are a poor testimony for me on earth. I'm taking you home. He forsook his blessings. Now, that is what's on the line for us. We can forfeit God's blessings on our life. We can. It's what Israel did, and they're his chosen people. So the idea here, if you want a happy, blessed relationship with God, keep 
the Word. Walk in the Word. The Word of God, the Bible, the 66 books of the Bible. In closing, I just want to remind us of something that James, who is the half-brother of Jesus, said. James chapter 2, verses 23 and 24. He gives an illustration to us. This is what he says. If there's anyone who is a hearer of the Word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks at his natural face in a mirror. For once he's looked at himself and he's gone away, he has immediately forgotten what kind of person he was. Talking about those verses, there's a renowned Bible scholar, Dr. Howard Hendricks. He illustrates this well. I want to read it for you. James says, look, you've got to embrace biblical truth. And he offers an interesting illustration to make his point. The analogy of the mirror. Most of us spend considerable time in front of a mirror every day, making the most of whatever we have to work with. James talks about a person who does just the opposite. Good night, the guy says, looking at himself in the mirror. I need to wash my face. I need to shave. I need to comb my hair. But noticing all of that, he walks off and does nothing. Now imagine that he goes down to the office and pretty soon his boss walks in, takes one look at him and says, Hey, what's up with you? You out of razors? No, the fellow replies. In fact, I just bought a fresh pack of them yesterday. Well, you'd better do something with them then, says the manager, because then, if you don't, you won't be long in the employment of this company. Howard Hendricks ends by saying, that's the situation James is describing. Every time you study the Word of God, but are not changed by it. It's as if you look in a mirror and you see that you're a mess, but you walk away and you do nothing. James ends this illustration in verse 25 of James 2, and he says, But one, but one, who looks intently at the Word and abides in the Word, not having become a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer. Basically, you look at the Word, you read it, you live it, you apply it to your life. James says, This one will be blessed in what he does. I'd like to share a powerful quote that I think of often. Either sin will keep you from this book, or this book will keep you from sin. So, closing application, how is your relationship with the Lord? Does it not just look good on the outside, but what about in your heart? Are you happy in your relationship with the Lord? Maybe what I should say is, do you think God is happy with your relationship with Him? It's more the question. Do you desire to walk with Him on a daily basis? If so, are you keeping His Word? Please bow with me as we close in prayer. If you're here today and you have not trusted in Jesus Christ as your Savior, then that is what you need right now. Honestly. So as we're closing our eyes to pray, closing prayer here, I just need to say that you're on a path right now heading for eternal condemnation. Not eternal life. But you can change that by simply praying a prayer of belief and trust in Jesus Christ. Say, Jesus, I believe that you died for my sin. And I'm, I confess I'm guilty. I deserve. I deserve a penalty for my sin. But thank you that Jesus died for me. And right now, I place all my faith in him as my Savior. Heavenly Father, I thank you. I thank you not only for that secure salvation that we can have eternal life, eternal life with you when we're born a sinner. What a remarkable thought. What a remarkable truth that your word, 
tells us. Oh God, may we not be people who abuse your grace, who abuse this day and walk in a way that we think is right, but it violates your holiness and your word. Oh God, please keep us, your servants, from presumptuous sin. Please do not let sin rule over our life. Then may we be blameless and acquitted of great transgression. May we keep your word. We love you and thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. At this point, Pastor Bill's going to come up to share in that brief meeting about the children's ministries.